Alright, everybody, welcome to the May 15th edition of Cascadian Views. I've got uh, just Dan with me here today. Chris has some family stuff. So how you doing, Dan? Howdy, howdy. Doing alright. It's a uh, beautiful, uh, do we call it summer? Is it early summer or are we still late spring? I mean, it's 82 kind of degrees on the here in Portland today, so I'd say nice. it's summer. Yeah, yeah. it's been up Let's in the it. 70s and 80s for like all week. It's been great. Mm-hmm. All right, here we go. It's white yeah. boy summer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, speaking of people who are going to be enjoying white boy summer, uh, Joel Greenberg, who is the wingman of Matt Gates, has now copped a plea to everything that Gates is denying and has agreed to turn state's evidence. We've been talking about the lead up to this for quite a while, uh, but now it's it's actually hit the ground running. On Thursday, uh, they scheduled a change of plea hearing for Monday. Uh, which would mean that he's changing his plea to guilty pursuant to the plea deal. Um, I've been following Popat on this a lot to explain how these things work to me. He is a former federal prosecutor, Ken White, um, loves to make everybody mad and knows a lot about the law. So he's one of my favorite people in the world. Um, he, he has been touting the fact that unless there are some extremely extraordinary circumstances going on in the background, the mandatory minimums in a plea deal still apply. And mm-hmm. the the charges that prosecutors have gotten him to plead guilty to total 12 years uh, of mandatory minimum time, which means in all likelihood, he's probably agreeing to serve at, you know, like you said in the pre-show, at least a decade in, right. in federal jail, uh, which is not something you do on a whim. If you think there's any chance you have to beat this, you, you roll the dice rather than go for 12 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's not rolling the dice. He's accepting the, the 12 years. And maybe if he can deliver them a sitting congressman, there might be a talk of waiving the minimums, but uh, it's a stretch. Right. I mean, either he's looking at significant downside or he's, yeah, offering them a lot of cooperation on the chance that, yeah, he's going to be, yeah, getting his downside significantly lowered to, yeah, exactly lower the amount of time he spends inside. The, uh, the downside. Bad times for Gates. <laughs> yeah. The downside for him uh, that he's getting it down to, plea deals do tend to accept uh, the mandatory minimums. They don't go for more. It would defeat the purpose of the plea deal. But the maximum length of time for its charges is like six months less than a century, like 99 and a half years, which is a pretty significant stint in jail, I would think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess, you know, the moral of the story is you know, don't have sex with children. <laughs> Especially not once you bring over state lines. Yeah, yeah. Whew. You know, the federal government takes that pretty seriously. Yeah. Um, Imagine so that. There's another wrinkle to the story, which is, I believe it was the Daily Beast got a hold of a number of women involved in all this uh, as as the potential prostitutes. They describe um, just absolutely ridiculous shit. Um, not only would they be pressured into certain amounts of drugs, methamphetamine and cocaine predominantly, but the guys would take turns on them in front of their buddies, which, to be honest, just Jesus. sounds exactly like Gates. I mean, you can't yeah. look at him and not feel like that actually probably fits. Um, yeah, they described not feeling comfortable enough to back out or say no, just the intense pressure those put on them. Uh, they mentioned seeing other teenage girls under underage during all this. It just, this 
I, I don't know why it's not getting more play because this seems like one of the biggest scandals of like a century here. Yeah, it's just incredibly sordid. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the stuff that would make the Kennedys blush. And then some. I mean, good God. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, yeesh. I mean, oh. It's just foul on every level. Expect some fireworks on Monday the 17th when the, uh, the change of plea hearing happens. I imagine that's when we're going to be getting the full details about the plea deal. And also, um, Gates is not identified currently in uh, the testimony that, he, that uh, Greenberg has submitted based on this. Uh, which isn't necessarily unusual. DOJ has a policy of not identifying people who haven't been charged yet, uh, both to keep the charges a secret in normal cases, uh, but also it, it's kind of how you end up with things like uh, unidentified person one from the, uh, the indictment of uh, the former president's lawyer last year. Right, right which everybody could tell was Trump. They even identified how he had become president one day, but they wouldn't actually use his name mm -hmm. uh, because he was not indicted. Same thing's going on here. I imagine you'll see this refactored once Gates actually has an indictment to be identified in that. Mm -hmm. uh, but something we will absolutely keep an eye on. Yeah, I would think that there, after he starts providing all that kind of information, it's got to be just a matter of time before they move on Gates himself. Mm -hmm. Once they've got actionable, you know, information, they can't just leave him hanging. Yeah, <sighs> not when all this is, is known out there. Although I do wonder how it would affect his future job prospects at, like, Newsmax, considering how full-on queue Newsmax goes and, you know, child sex trafficking is all over the place and... It'd be a little hypocritical to have Gates in there after that. Extremely. Yeah, yeah, it would be. But, you know, they... Man, sometimes... Just... On the other hand, you know, Trump loves him, so... Does it even matter? I don't know. God, it's just so gross. <sighs> Speaking of gross... Different kind of gross. I don't want to equate the two, but... Uh... Elise Stefanik is now the number three Republican in House leadership. We've been talking about the upcoming ouster of Cheney for a few weeks now. Um, it finally happened. She went out the door swinging. Uh, literally, like, 18 hours before the vote, she released an op-ed uh, about how the Republican Party is broken and history is watching and will be judging. Uh, after she was ousted, she went on Fox to once again say everything she had been saying about she has no remorse no qualms whatsoever she feels she did the right thing she did do the right thing still thinks she's a terrible person but at least she's not a complete and total liar so mm -hmm. <laughs> you have that going for you i guess yeah yeah i mean i guess you know she can it it, it lets her sleep at night i suppose so yeah uh, Stefanik is in without an actual recorded voice, uh, excuse me, recorded vote. As Chris pointed out, they did through a voice vote so that nobody would have to be on the record. And we'd have mm -hmm. no information about who voted what. Just a guy at the front deciding who had more eyes and who had more days. Yep. 
just maximum chicken shittery. <laughs> uh, there is a split in the Bush clan, too. I don't know if you picked up on that. Oh, what what happened there? Uh, George P. Bush, Prescott Bush, uh, the younger Bush, who's like insurance commissioner in Texas and looking at statewide office, he is now full Trumpite. Uh, oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. a slime ball. Broke with yeah. his dad and his grandfather and his uncle and all the rest of the Bushes were were pretty anti-Trump and even more so after the election. Uh, the yeah, he's actually still involved in Republican politics, though. It's apparently very much oh god yeah of course <laughs> jeez of course the one who's still got a future is the one who's <laughs> yeah. licking the bo- licking the boots really yep. shows you where the republican party has gone to uh, yeah you have to bend the knee if you want to be a member it's oh, a personality cult it really is really really is but after He's he's Jeb Bush's son, right? I yeah, think, yeah, I, I do yeah. believe so. After after that, after what Trump did to his dad, man, that is really terrible, man. That is something. <laughs> I mean, you've got uh, Ted Cruz going that same place, and that's true. Uh, that's Trump just ripped his wife for basically the entire campaign. Right, right. Well, and, and yeah, man, those Texas men, you know, they, uh, <laughs> they, they sure do, uh, <laughs> they don't live up to the stereotype, do they? <laughs> no, not at all. Oh, man. Oh, well. All right. Um, Do you want to do Israel first, or do you want to do the CDC first? Oh, um, gosh. I was going to say, um, I was gonna, which, which one's less depressing? Uh, well, no, this, let's do the CDC. Okay. <laughs> so, um, in the middle of a presidential briefing with a few other people, the CDC released new guidelines saying that Americans who are two weeks past vaccination um no longer need masks or social distancing in most public places there are some carve outs um public transportation hospitals senior living correctional facilities those sorts of places will still have masks required but in general going down to walmart or trader joe's or whatnot as long as you are fully vaccinated which means two weeks past your second shot or two weeks past your only shot if you have the johnson johnson vaccine you, you no longer need the mask. Um, the immunity offered by these vaccinations is, is turning out to be, frankly, incredible. <laughs> um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Especially for a respiratory virus, 95% doesn't sound like much, but when you look at other respiratory viruses and how effective vaccinations are, it, it's like an order of magnitude, better than, than anything we've ever gotten before. Um, it seems they're they're working incredibly well. There's a really low risk of breakthrough infections, and when they happen, no deaths have been associated with them. Um, it it just seems it's all working. The scientists have got together and they've decided that yeah, it's it's basically fine if you're vaccinated. This has caused 
a lot of conflict with people, even in our sure. Facebook group. Um, I just got my second shot, so I've got to wait a couple weeks. Uh, I got mine mm-hmm. yesterday, in fact. But, you know, I'm, I'm excited for not having to worry about that. And it just strikes me how much it's become... <sighs> almost performative. Like, it's a, a marker in a culture war. Uh, mm-hmm. Wearing the mask on it, which I think harms everything. It harms people's trust in the scientific community. It harms our partisanship. It harms our country. This whole idea that the mask is a, a marker of which side you're on is is ridiculous. I was I was even talking to my girlfriend about the mm-hmm. um, the new guidance because uh, she got her her second vaccination like ten days ago. She's she's about to be completely free and clear on that. And she was honestly scared to not wear a mask out because she didn't want people thinking that she was an asshole or a Republican. Right. Uh, to the point where I actually ordered uh, a couple, like, I'm COVID vaccinated buttons for, for us to wear. <laughs> they get in on Sunday. But just the idea that, you know, that sort of, of feeling is out there is very strange to me. Sure. Well, I mean, I mean that was kind of the, the marker last year, really. I mean... Trump made a very big show of, you know, you don't have to wear a mask if you don't want to wear a mask. You know, it's a personal choice, that kind of thing. And so the response to that, you know, you know, Biden very conspicuously made a point of wearing a mask everywhere and, you know, kind of continued to wear a mask, you know, well after he was vaccinated. In fact, and he took it off in kind of public for the first time that. immediately after the new CDC guidelines. He has right. not been around other people within six feet without a mask since, like, last year. And mm-hmm. he took it off in front of McConnell when they were all meeting in the White House on infrastructure and shit. Uh, we'll be in, coughed on him, too. <laughs> McConnell uh, took his uh, off as well, saying free at last as he was doing it. Uh, <laughs> quote back to the civil rights group. I, I don't know if he was meaning to be an asshole, but I definitely would have chosen different words there. Yeah, that's terrible. Oh, my yeah. God. Oh, that's terrible. <laughs> oh, man. Free at last. Free at last. Thank God almighty we are free at last. Not really I, not really I mean, the emotion you want to evoke. There. Piece of cloth on my face, you know, compared to... <laughs> You know, oh, no, I'm not having people with shotguns keeping me from voting. <laughs> oh. oh, God. Fucking McConnell. My God. Yeah. Wow. Hmm. Uh, so the governor here in Oregon uh, almost immediately took the CDC's guide- guidance. Uh, I think it was like an hour after the CDC made the change. Oregon announced they're making the change. They are telling Most people states are. Yeah. yeah, they can. They are telling people they can follow the guideline guidance, but they are not. They're, they're trying to work it into actual language they can use to give businesses like mm-hmm. a way to function. And also how you're going to keep track of the vaccinated people versus the unvaccinated. Oregon doesn't have any sort of vaccine passport system in place, like a smartphone app you could scan. Right. So it, it sounds like they're going to require you to bring your vaccine card with you, which I just don't like. That's kind of an important document, and it's too big to like fit in my wallet or something mm-hmm. like that. I don't want to lose it. I don't want it to get wet in the rain. I'd like to keep it in like my shoebox full of important documents and have an app on my phone that just 
I can scan and it tells people I'm vaccinated. So I, I don't really know what they're doing with that, but yep. it seems fucking weird. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and yeah, that's kind of the thing. You're, unless you do have some kind of passport system, you're back to the honor system and the people with the incentive to lie about it are the ones who are the ones who are, don't want to get vaccinated and the ones who don't want to wear masks. So great. Here we go. But mm, all right. Do you know uh, if Washington is changing their mask guidelines to match up with the CDC? Let's see here. I'm not really sure. See if there's any update here on that. Washington State. Yes. Washington State lifting mask mandate for fully vaccinated people. Uh, let's see here. Yes. Uh, the governor said that they are lifting that. Let's see here. That was on Thursday. Uh, the governor made that announcement. Doesn't say as of when, though. So, yeah, the basically Inslee is uh, taking the same course as Governor Brown. Okay. Um, I, do you think it's going to lead to a new spike? I mean, the benefit we have now, though, is, well, at least in, you know, heavily vaccinated states like Washington and Oregon is that, again, at least half the population has had their shots. Yeah. So, I mean, that's kind of the main thing we have going for us. You know, were states like, you know, in, in the Southeast or at least portions of the Midwest, you know, I think the concern is in a lot of those parts of the country, your vaccination rates are closer to, you know, 20 to 30 percent. And Which in those is about parts, what it is in Eastern Oregon, too. I guess that's in Eastern Oregon. Yeah, I guess that's a good point. And now that I think of it, you know, in Eastern Washington, it's probably about the same, you know, because, you know, vaccination rates are definitely varying from county to county around here as well. And, uh, you know, it's definitely much higher in the uh, Western counties as well. So, geez, yeah, <laughs> maybe maybe it is going to spike in certain parts of the state. See, I don't actually think it will spike. Um, just because the people who are going to lie about it are the people mm -hmm. who are already not masking and not distancing sure. uh, to the point where it's like a point of pride for them that they're not doing those things. So I don't, right. I don't really see it changing their behavior at all. It's mostly just a signal to the vaccinated people that you can now go about mm -hmm. your everyday life again. All right. I mean, I guess. Hmm. I suppose. I mean. Hmm. I don't know. Hmm. All right. Well, we'll turn to the other depressing topic of the week, uh, and that is the situation in Israel and the Gaza Strip is rapidly spiraling out of control uh, mm -hmm. to an insane degree. This is a level of violence we haven't seen since the last Intifada, uh, primarily. It's also, it's also much more asymmetrical this time yeah. around. 
um, and and not not through um, accident or, or lack of intent. In fact, the largest barrages of rockets that the Palestinians have ever launched at Israel, both of them, the new record and the one that broke that new record, happened during this the spat of violence. It's just Israel's rocket defense system is now more or less across the entire country. They started rolling this out. It's based on the Patriot system, which is the United States theater defense um, ballistic. Uh, what's the term here? Um, ballistic hmm. defense weapons. They they blow up theater missiles and theater rockets. It's right. Patriot system is not effective the against whole... ICBMs. Yeah, yeah, they're not the whole Iron Dome system. Yes, yeah, it's derived from the Patriot system. Patriot system generally can uh, protect warships and sometimes towns. They've declared it, uh, not declared it. They've uh, deployed it around most major settlements in Israel to the point where there are very few people not covered by it at this point. Um, There was a barrage of thirty-eight rockets launched at Tel Aviv. It destroyed thirty-seven of them. The one rocket that got through hit a tram. Um, basically, the Palestinians can't really do anything to Israel at this point. Uh, not with these tactics, at least. Uh, but just the launching them is, is pissing off Israel to an insane degree. Uh, to the point where they've launched a, a full-scale offensive. Uh, just today, they bombed the uh, building that was housing the AP in Al Jazeera English. Uh, because it was also apparently housing Hamas militants on a different floor. The AP and Al Jazeera had the fifth floor. They were warned. Israel called them up and said, hey, we're probably going to bomb your building. You should get out of there. I guess mm-hmm. Hamas just didn't notice the entire fifth floor evacuating. I don't I, I don't really understand that. Um, I. It seems pretty bizarre that, I mean, was, were they serious? Was Hamas seriously there or was it? I mean, that seems that's what I'm saying. I don't I don't actually know. <laughs> yeah, I think. It's probably, I don't know. <laughs> and there are videos of the AP and Al Jazeera evacuating. Like, they documented yeah. their own evacuation after they got the warning. It's not subtle. Yeah. <laughs> they are they are actively evacuating this building, taking all their equipment out, holding the elevators. Like, you cannot be in that building and not notice that the entire fifth floor is clearing the fuck out. Yeah. So, which makes this whole strike seem pointless. If Hamas is no longer there... Why are you destroying the building? I'm I'm pretty sure that's Israel fucking with a civilian building, but yeah. I don't know. <laughs> that, that's what it sounds like to me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, Biden has uh, very definitely tried to stay out of this entire situation uh, as not our business. America's not involved. Just talk to somebody over there about it. Uh, he ended up having to to wade into it today. He had two phone calls, one with uh, Palestinian Authority President Mahmoud Abbas, one with Netanyahu. Uh, Netanyahu released the readout of his call uh, with Biden well before Biden released the official White House readout of the call. Um, with, it appears, some intent to, some intent to massage it, to be more pro-Israel from Netanyahu. Because right. Biden's really telling them to basically knock it the fuck off. <laughs> right. uh, I mean, Biden doesn't, you know, get out there and, and cheerlead Palestine. In fact, with his call with Abbas, he, he 
expressly called on uh, the Palestinian Authority to get Hamas the fuck out of here and stop stop with these yeah. rockets, basically. Like, mm-hmm. knock it off and get rid of the terrorists. But yeah. then he has a much longer conversation with Netanyahu uh, where he talked about, you know, the violence across Israel and uh, the conflict uh, causing the deaths of children. We now estimate that one-third of the dead in Palestine are under the age of 18. So mm-hmm. one-third of those killed are children. That really stuck out to Biden. Um, and he reminded Netanyahu a couple times about how American support is not assured in all things. Mm-hmm. Uh, which Netanyahu didn't really mention in his readout of the call. Uh, just kind of <laughs> highlighted the stuff that Biden said that was pro-Israel and ignored the rest. Yep. So we'll see what goes on there, but uh, it's spiraling out of control pretty bad. Yeah. No, I mean, it's... Well, it certainly does not help that... I mean, the Netanyahu government over the last... God, it's been the last 10 years or so. I mean, they've they've played very fast and loose in how they've approached American politics. I mean, they've uh, I, I mean, they've made it almost a point to you know, take sides in American politics in, in terms of, you know, almost explicitly aligning themselves with the Republican Party and in some cases almost explicitly aligning themselves with with Trump over you know the last you know 10 years or so um, you know kind of aligning themselves with you know Mitt Romney or at least aligning themselves against Barack Obama in 2012 uh, and kind of expecting Obama to kind of roll with it and kind of let it slide and kind of i don't know how they're how long netanyahu is expecting democratic politicians to just kind of take it and not expect some kind of repercussion especially as you know his grip on his government has definitely weakened uh, i mean they've had what four elections in the last 2 years and They've kind of devolved. They've all almost all been about just him personally. It, it's just been. I believe they're heading for another election too here soon. Uh, and Netanyahu's uh, on trial right now for corruption. Right. Well. Well. I mean. That, yeah. That. Yeah. That's kind of the thing. They've. Uh, this whole situation has kind of been blowing up while. Uh, he, he and his opposition have been trying to form a government. They had an election a few weeks ago. Uh, he'd been charged with forming a government, and uh, he hadn't been able to. And so the opposition has been in the process of forming a government. And I guess they are—he was a, trying to whiff, and now I think he's back in the seat and trying to do it again. So, yeah, if uh, they can't do it, then they may be stuck trying to form have an election again. So, good. <laughs> God, uh, but yeah, it's just evolved to the point where these uh, the fault lines in Israeli politics anymore. They're not even about you know they're not about a peace process. They're not about prosecution of the war or settlements. I mean, they're just about whether uh, whatever course that they're on is going to be led by Netanyahu himself. <sighs> 
which is just unbelievably depressing. <laughs> uh, and Netanyahu is... He was born in Israel, but he spent a large amount of his time in America, um, mm -hmm. going back to the 50s. Uh, and even after he graduated college here in America, he graduated top of his class at MIT, uh, he, he took a job at a, at a consulting group in Boston where... Guess who his co-worker was? I had no idea who. Mitt Romney. Really? Uh, they've been friends since 1978. Yeah. No? yeah. Uh, and during the 80s, when he was the Israeli ambassador to the UN, he became personal friends with Fred Trump, the father of Donald Trump. All of these things, I think, combine Netanyahu as a um, intimate understanding of American politics. He lived here for basically 20 years. Uh, both as a child, then as a college student, and then as a working professional. Um, he has been in Republican circles basically his entire life. I, I think he's just more comfortable taking sides in American politics than foreign leaders usually are because they're not all that foreign to him. Right. It, it, hmm. it, it just seems, it, it, it's kind of strange. It, 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 to, to I guess so deliberately place the country, place the nation, not so much seeing America as its ally as explicitly the American, the Republican Party as its ally. That's that's a weird place for Israel to be in. That's going to cause some lasting damage too. I mean, yeah. I, I think of the UK as an ally, regardless of who's in charge. I may think yeah. Boris Johnson is a buffoon, but I think at the end of the day, like we have each other's backs. Um, right. Israel doesn't seem to operate in that same way. It, you're, right. You're right. That's much more expressly political. And I think the fallout from that is going to be fairly severe because I do think Israel should be there. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I, I think... Uh, a land for the Jews, first off, is mm -hmm. something that it needed. I, I think statelessness for large groups of people almost inevitably lead to um, abuses of those people. I think the same thing about yeah. the Kurds in the Middle East. The fact that they've been denied a state for so long is one of the reasons that uh, they've just been kept under the heel of whatever you know asshole dictator of the moment is in one of those four countries they're in. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. The, the Holocaust, I think, illustrated uh, a wonderful need. Not a wonderful. That's a point yeah. of words. An important <laughs> need. The importance, yeah. yeah. Yeah, for for the Jews to have a state. But just... It's important that that need be recognized as universal. And the more that Israel is the asshole in that area, the less universal that need feels. You know, when it's Netanyahu being, uh, you know, the Middle Eastern branch of the Republican Party, it's harder to get people to rally around the idea that Israel, as flawed as it is, is still at some level a democracy, is still at some level respecting of human rights, uh, because they go around and they demonstrate almost the exact opposite of that in, in numerous right. circumstances. When they go around also committing lots of war crimes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, you know, there's there's a lot that, that Israel has to be proud of. Uh, the Entebbe rescue is was Israel absolutely deciding that some of the lives of their people are worth protecting 
Jews from other countries. Uh, I thought that mm -hmm. that's a wonderful example of, of selflessness out of there and why it's important for Israel to exist because the plight of Jews needs somebody to champion it. Um, the, the Entebbe rescue was when they rescued a, a large number of uh, Ethiopian Jews, primarily right, black right. Ethiopian Jews who were mm -hmm. uh, being systemically stamped out by uh, the dictator in Ethiopia at the time. Uh, mm -hmm. Israel lost a number of soldiers to that, but they successfully rescued those, mm -hmm. those Jews from the airport. That's the sort of thing that gets championed, this wholesale bombing of children just because, you know, you got issues with the Palestinians that, you know, you spent 30 years trying to work out and you're just tired of them existing now. It's just not really a great example. And it, it yeah. pains me because it, if Israel loses the United States, it's going to lose other people. And at some point, it really is going to be just Israel standing alone. And at that point, I don't think that there's any possible future for that state. I really don't. Um, mm -hmm. And before Netanyahu came back into power, they were at least making moves in that direction. They, they signed the Oslo Accords, which was supposed to move us towards a Palestinian state. It was Israel accepting that a Palestinian state would exist in return for the Palestinians accepting that Israel would exist. And everybody's fucking forgotten about that now. Yeah. I mean, without, I mean, without the support of the mainstream of the United States, I mean, because, I mean, there is support in the United States, but it would be from the Republican Party, which is, you know, a fascist organization. I mean, it's a lonelier future, but it's a bloodier future. And it's, you know, one that's inherently committing more war crimes and just generally a much, much darker future. But yeah, it's it's one that's, yeah, a lot lonelier and just more terrible and just with increasingly you know fewer allies and worse allies and with yeah i mean think of who they end up kind of falling in line with i mean it would be yeah with you know the trumps of the world with the saudi arabias of the world the you know dutertes the yeah Kim Jong-uns. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's, it's, it's not a group of allies you, you think you'd want to be with, but I don't know. Hopefully things can be turned around, but yeah, it's, it is very depressing. And it's, it's spiraling. Yeah. So I guess we'll talk about our own depression now. Um, have you seen anything about the, the new 1-6 commission? In the vein of the 9-11 commission? Oh, uh, was just looking at a uh, Mother Jones article about it, because, yeah, Chris was uh, posting about it and letting us know that, yeah, that there has been a breakthrough on uh, a deal between Democrats and Republicans possibly on making this happen, which, you know, good that at least there might be some accountability, but... There are some catches, of course, because, you know, if you can get Republicans to agree to anything, uh, there will, of course, be limitations on actual accountability. So it looks like 
the framework of this would be an equal number of Republicans and Democrats appointed to this commission, a Democratic chair, a Republican vice chair. It would have subpoena power, uh, but those subpoenas must be approved. Let's see here. Make sure I understand this correctly. I want to get this right. Uh, let's see here. Approved by either the chair and the vice chair or by a majority of the commissioners, which, quote, means that the Republicans on the commission would have the power to block any subpoena. So... Two steps forward and one step back. <laughs> Making it bipartisan instead of nonpartisan, I think, was a mistake. Yeah. Um, the House and the Senate aren't really equipped to deal with this, I don't think. Um, not when it's it's basically directly getting at the heart of one of the two major parties in each of those bodies. Um, I, I would have liked to see something more akin to the 9-11 Commission, which was academics and former subject matter experts in national security and whatnot, people who are no longer actively involved in politics and who have uh, a measure of, of expertise on the subject matter and not just the ability to make a lot of people very angry. Yeah. Uh, we'll see what happens to it. Even just adding another five people drawn from academic institutions would probably do a lot to allay my concern. Five mm -hmm. Republicans, five Democrats, and, you know, five experts in domestic terrorism or something like that. Right, right. Just something to start turning over some rocks and seriously mm -hmm. getting some review of what happened so that it's not just completely swept under the rug because, yeah, the Republicans are already acting like it was a good thing. It was great. It was an act of patriotism. Uh, the president just today released a statement calling the uh, 2020 election the greatest theft in history. Oh, my God. Uh, and I posted a little thing to the group uh, from congressional testimony like three days ago, which has it that uh, Donald Trump ordered his acting defense secretary to ensure that the military protected the demonstrators and their right to to protest. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just, there's so much to this story, and I don't think we're going to get any answers from this bullshit commission. Yeah. Not if, uh, you know, not if the Republicans have their way, because they are just fully committed to protecting that, that son of a bitch. He's going to be their nominee, and in, in three years' time. Yeah. Mm. So, let's go local, I guess. What would you say if I told you that Governor Inslee vetoed one of the most important pieces of legislation that he himself proposed? I'd be a little surprised. I'd kind of want to know more. <laughs> a lot of people are, in fact, surprised, uh, including environmental groups up in Washington who are going ballistic over this. He vetoed it today. Um, it was a measure that would have banned the sale of new internal combustion engine vehicles in Washington in 2030. So from that point on, you could buy a used gas car, you could buy a new electric car, you could not buy a new gas car. Uh, Inslee proposed this bill. He fought to get it through the legislature. It finally got through the legislature. Mm -hmm. There is another piece of policy that he himself has championed and he introduced 
uh, which was a road usage charge for vehicles in the state to replace the GAC, uh, the gas tax in order to, to fund road construction and road maintenance. If you're not going to have cars with gas anymore, you're going to need to get that revenue from somewhere else instead of a gas tax, and it was going to be a road usage charge. Inslee also proposed this, this piece of legislation. Uh, it did not pass on its own. It was instead rolled into the ban on the sale of electric cars, and it would have um, it would have tied the 2030 end of of gas car sales in Washington to actually having a road usage charge implemented, so that they wouldn't make the switch unless they could pay for the roads without the gas tax. Um, because of this, this is apparently upset Inslee something fierce. He has vetoed this legislation because he thinks that the electric car goal is too important to have it be tied to another piece of policy. Uh, it's already tied to another piece of policy. You're not going to ban the sale of gas cars unless you have a revenue stream to replace gas taxes. Uh, it's just, it's required. <laughs> like all, all the legislation was doing was being honest about that. I have no <laughs> idea why Inslee has vetoed this. Um, hmm. Matthew Metz, who's the executive director of Coltura, which is one of the largest groups advocating for gasoline-free America, uh, is is just beside himself. According to the Seattle Times, uh, he had no idea Inslee was going to be vetoing this. Uh, neither did a number of other uh, environmental groups in Washington. It's it's taken everybody by surprise, and I, I don't know what Inslee is doing here. I, I think it's fine to have these things paired because the reality is they're paired anyway. It doesn't matter what the law says. You can't do one without the other. So I, I don't... Uh, I, I think Inslee's hmm. a great governor, but I honestly do not understand this at all. Yeah, that is quite mysterious. I can't say I've got any accounting for that either. So, hmm. Uh, there are three other bills that the legislature passed. Uh, the end of the session was really climate change, uh, climate change focused. Uh, there's a bill that offers government incentives to develop biofuels that re uh, release less greenhouse uh, gases. Another bill that requires the purchase of credits by fuel marketers that do not meet the standards of the state in terms of emissions. So they'll have to pay to offset their emissions if they don't meet their targets. Uh, and there's also a bill that uh, puts a cap on straight state greenhouse gas emissions that gradually lowers over the next 30 years um, and brings in, uh, brings in money by uh, selling pollution allowances for companies that can't quite make it over. And those yeah. pollution allowances would then go on to fund mitigating uh, engineering projects. Okay. Uh, all those, Inslee is expected to sign. It was just the car one. Uh, even though he himself earlier this year said that this was the most important bill in front of the Washington State Legislature in decades. Hmm. So he'll, I'm assuming he'll give him another shot next year. But. I mean, I'm hoping so, but I honestly don't see what's wrong with the, the, the hmm. road usage fee being tied to this. Because hmm. I, am I wrong here in, in my imagination? This road maintenance is funded primarily by that gas tax, right? The, yeah. That gas tax money goes almost exclusively to, to roads. Um, if you're no longer selling gas cars, you get less revenue 
from gas taxes, which means less revenue for the roads that cars drive on, and you have to make that up somewhere. It's either a power tax or a, a usage fee. Like, those are your only two options. Yeah. So simply acknowledging that you have to have a road usage fee in place before you pull the trigger on this uh, doesn't seem that unreasonable. That seems actually pretty smart. It seems making sure your ducks are in a row before you do the big change that is honestly going to change a lot about society and needs to happen. Being, like, aware of what needs to happen to make that work is, I don't know. Yeah. I'm, everything I'm reading, at least in far as, as far as responses to the Vita, was kind of agreeing with you that everyone's kind of scratching their head. Yeah. Wonder <laughs> what happened. <laughs> yeah, I just, I really don't get it. Um, because I, I do think this is, this could have been a defining bill for Inslee. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess there is some concern. Um, I guess the attorney general in the state uh, has some opinions that it could probably be challenged in federal court uh, as usurping the authority of the federal government under the Clean Air Act. But the attorney general is not saying that it would be overturned in court, just saying that it would invite a legal challenge, which sure. anything the governor does invites a legal challenge. So that doesn't seem like a deal breaker to me either. Yeah. I, you know, I think this is by default our week in malarkey because it's like, what? Huh? <laughs> yeah. I and and so the amendment wasn't even uh, a poison pill by Republicans. No. No, it, it came from a Democrat. This, just, this was what was intended. This is what was trying to pass. <laughs> this yeah. what was intended to pass. This was Huh. Okay. Yeah, state senator Steve Hobbs, a Democrat from Lake Stevens. Yeah. Was the yeah. one who put that in there. And uh and he just put an amendment that until at least 70, we couldn't pull the trigger. It could go into law, but the trigger on the ban would not be pulled until uh, the state had implemented a road usage fee that covered at least 75% of the cars in the state, mm-hmm. which seems eminently reasonable to me. Yeah. Uh, hmm. I mean, Steve Hobbs, he, he's a little he, he's one of the more conservative democrats but i don't think he would have been trying to kill it i don't know huh weird all the same yeah very strange mm-hmm. uh, i don't know and he's so i don't know as much about uh washington politics as you do i don't live in the state but hobbs has actually been really involved from what i've seen in transportation planning uh, mm-hmm. Including like eco-friendly transportation planet, he he wrote the the bill that implemented sound transit light rail in, in sure. Seattle, uh, getting people onto cleaner forms transportation. He's he's always been involved in that. He's got awards out the ass from the NAACP. Yeah, uh, it, it just I don't think it's a poison pill. I think he was just honestly trying to do the due diligence and make sure that the state would have the money to fund these things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Inslee goes and vetoes it. I, it's just, it's very weird to me. But hey. Some kind of, yeah, 11th hour reversal. I don't know. Huh. Well, all right. Is there anything else you wanted to mention? 
Not that I can think of right now. So, nope. All right. Well, then I guess that's going to do it for us this week. All right. We got through it. We'll hopefully have Chris back next week. Absolutely. Hope you have a good week, Dan. All right. And you too, Brock. Good luck uh, developing those antibodies. Yeah, I hope so. I'm, uh, I'm thankfully, I'm getting through it okay. Um, I had a really bad first shot. It was not fun at all. This time, I've got a little bit of Moderna arm, and I'm running a bit of a fever. But aside from that, nothing really. All right. Very good. Yeah. Have a good one. All right. You too. Bye.